Good afternoon and welcome to the latest edition of the LinkedIn Live, the Evolution NHS Exchange. I'm delighted to be joined today by Nikki Doyle, the Intelligence Manager at South Central and West CSU. Um, got really good discussion coming our way all around sort of the importance of, of data going forward. Um, really, uh, really grateful for Nikki to uh, thank you for making the time. No worries. Thank you for having me. Great stuff. So obviously just a little bit of uh, housekeeping, if there are any um, questions or any comments that you feel that uh, you want to ask Nikki as we're going through the questions, please feel free to pop them in the chat and we'll we'll try and answer them as we go. Or if we need a little bit of time, we'll, we'll put some at the end of the uh, of the event just so we can cover everything. Um, yeah, let, let's uh, pretty much get into it. I think it'd be really sort of interesting for everyone just to really just give a sort of introductory overview in terms of your role as an intelligence manager um, with, you know, CSCW and its sort of, you know, significance in the healthcare sector. Of course. Um, yeah, so I'm an operational manager of a team of nine providing analytics for Hampshire White ICB. Uh, I would say this role is a bit more versatile than that because, you know, from one moment I could be proposing a new strategic approach for BI to Hampshire White ICB or the CSU, or the next I could be, you know, hands-on building Power BI reports or writing SQL and kind of helping out the team in terms of delivery. Uh, another moment I could actually be building operational roadmaps and talking about, you know, the future delivery mechanisms which we will produce. Um, so this is actually across, across a wide scope of metrics and requirements as well. So we don't just focus on one sector. We are quite a versatile team in terms of we look through primary care, community care, urgent emergency care, mental health, maternity plan care, discharges, paediatrics. So that's just to give you some of what we do that, you know, we cover quite a breadth of data. Uh, since I've kind of been in post, I've developed my role to kind of being more of a product owner. So kind of following the scrum de de uh, definition of that. So kind of prioritising BI requirements in line with the Hampshire ICB alongside them. In terms of like the value they bring to the ICS and discerning a framework which creates transparency on how the resource they have with the CSU is being utilised and how we're prioritising what we're delivering. And then you know, building that into a like, transitional roadmap for them. Um, I've developed I've an operational model which actually uses Azure DevOps. Um, I've actually successfully got that onto the CSU roadmap our side, and it manages, it helps manage requirements and create transparency, um, transparency to key stakeholders around what's being prioritised and delivered through the resource that we have in, within the team. Also creates transparency in terms of, you know, what the management team are doing in terms of kind of managing the expectations of clients and customers and, and also kind of uh, making sure that we're strategically aligned in terms of what is going to be coming up in terms of in line with NHSE's requirements and in terms of the IS requirements and also um, it's focusing on those, like I mentioned, those delivery plans and advising the ICB and CSU in terms of actually, you know, um, kind of what we could be utilising in the future and how we could be changing things. And I like to focus on giving some time back and supporting the team. In this, I advocate kind of key principles around minimising duplication, working as one team and being versatile around delivery methods. I'd say this is quite consistent across the CSU where we kind of advocate those key principles where we can. 
Interesting, yeah, quite a lot there. <laughs> the areas and, and the day-to-day, -day, definitely. Um, obviously, always ever-changing landscapes in the NHS, and uh, particularly with the ICBs at the moment, uh, what they're going through. Consultancy, I imagine quite a lot of challenges are sort of cropping up as, as you're going through. You know, what would you say the sort of some of the key challenges that you're facing in, in gathering and um, you know utilizing the intelligence uh, in healthcare? Uh, there's quite a few, but I think three key ones I'd share is in terms of um, making sure that we're sharing patient data and information in a sensitive and secure manager. Sorry, not secure. I didn't mean to admit, sorry, secure manner. Sorry, it's just my language today. It is a key challenge where we need to be mindful of the use cases. Um, data sharing, there's always a risk element. We need to be mindful and ensuring the data that we're sharing is within the best practice. It's in with IG. Um, you know, legal obligations and we want to make sure that our key objective at the end day is to improve patient care waiting times and pathways in a most in the cost effective way that actually doesn't impact on the quality of care received at the end of the day. Um, I'd say our second one is NHS data collections has a lot of nuances. The data is quite complex. Um, so we need to be considerate of how to uh, build metrics and calculate specific nuances. Uh, we need to look at potential concerns, improvements. We need to come up, you know, sometimes in instances we need to actually uh, put forward a national um, uh, calculation. And sometimes that doesn't exist and it's something we create locally and sometimes we then share that with other systems and kind of try and create a, a clarity around the definition. So length of stay is a really good one. If you come across NHS, there's sometimes various different nuances around how we calculate length of stay. Some people will exclude certain aspects of uh, patient care, some won't. So sometimes it's just bringing that consistency to the forefront of our minds. Uh, the last one is the timeliness of data, and this is something that uh, NHS is definitely improving on, which I'll touch base on maybe later throughout the questions through the federated data platform. But in some cases, the data we base analysis on currently, or the latest validated cut we receive from providers is, can be two months behind. Uh, this is due to the validation exercises required to ensure accuracy. Uh, in some cases, it's older than this, but you know where data is flowing more frequently, sometimes we actually do need to consider that data isn't actually being uh, completely validated in line with what the actual kind of validated cuts would be. So sometimes there's discrepancies between different cuts of data as well, which can cause complications. Yeah, some real sort of key challenges there that um, I imagine don't have an easy outcome, and you know, a lot to a lot sort of process on a daily basis. We've um, we've had a first question come in um, from Louis um, asking, with limited resources, how do you think the CSUs and ICBs can work together to achieve their digital strategies? Oh, that's very actually that aligns with what we're currently doing at the moment. So with limited resources, um, so I could more probably talk about what we're doing in Hampshire and Iowa ICB. We're doing a targeted, targeted operating model where we're coming together as one team. Um, so at the moment, we've got analysts within Hampshire and Iowa White um, embedded team CSU side, so the CSU is this clinical support unit that supports the ICB. We've got some analysts in the ICB side, just to give a kind of clarity picture if you're not NHS based, but so we're trying to come together as one team and kind of identify, because we've got key transformational projects, like I mentioned, primary care, 
um, we've got discharges and kind of seeing how we can effectively utilize resource and how we can share code and how we can actually improve on our practices to actually create those efficiencies, how we can implement best practice around version control um, and how we can actually build ourselves up so we're actually communicating more and actually um, minimizing um, the risk of replication. That's the key aspect. It's challenging to do when definitely when you're working virtually. Yeah, definitely. No, I can imagine that. Um, it kind of leads a little bit into my sort of take that I was thinking around sort of, you know, how does data intelligence you know, play a crucial role in the actual decision making? Uh, you know, the, the ultimate goal being to improve the health services within, you know, SCW and obviously that, that Alla White mentioned there. What, um, yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it allows staff to make recommendations and track alternatives to healthcare rather than being in the hospital bed. Because the last thing we want is a patient in a hospital bed because they're, you know, it's it's not good for their well-being. Sometimes they could actually pick up infectious diseases. I appreciate there is a time and place that a patient does need to be in a hospital bed when they do need that care. But for some, if they do not need um, that care, we look to try and alleviate um, and get them out of hospital as soon as possible. Essentially, what this impacts on is reducing those long waiting times in any units. Um, you know, we don't want patients to be on hold for hours trying to contact GP. So this is where we're trying to think of where we can build uh, more resources into community care, maybe voluntary care to kind of support that. This is um, where virtual wards comes in, you know, and patient initiated follow ups. So here we can start thinking about how we can give the same level of patient care outside um, hospital. Um, we can also think about, like I mentioned, the community and voluntary care and see how they can play a factor into giving that support to patients whilst they're maybe not getting maybe regular consultant checkups, but actually their care can be managed in that other setting. Um, essentially, data forms all decisions. Um, it's the basis of all commissioning, business cases, papers to the ICB, because there's board at the end of the day who makes decisions um for each all the healthcare that's commissioned it's the same for clinical services offers so i've worked um uh, lots of trusts previously and analysts at trusts will be providing data to prove service provider benefits to patients some of it's lots about uh, you know actually the service provides the service it's really beneficial these are the patient outcomes of this can we continue the service this is how much it's going to financially cost us to keep the service going uh, it provides assurance to the public that, you know, the NHS is delivering on what it needs to deliver or it's trying its best to deliver on what it needs to deliver. I appreciate there's a lot of politics around that. Um, and it's also the government because the government regulates at the NHS as well in terms of making sure that we're meeting our constitution. Um, you know, it's also, like I mentioned, in clinical settings, it's not just clinicians actually trying to prove that their service is beneficial, it's actually managers are also trying to realise efficiencies in the clinical setting and how we can, like I said, keep that same level of patient care, but offer it maybe more cost effectively, because up to the end of the day, we're all using, you know, the public taxes to build this healthcare system. And that's what their taxes are used for. It helps us identify opportunities to improve patient care and track the performance against objectives for the NHS constitution at the end of the day. And that's what we use it for as baseline. Yeah, I always think it's quite interesting how a lot of what is driven going forward is, is based on the data intelligence itself, but it also sort of reflects the importance of accurate data. 
Um, it's, it's almost the foundations for anything going forward, in the, particularly around what changes will come into play. Uh, so sort of interesting that obviously everything that you're, you're talking about there, you know, would fall back on, you know, the, the crucial nature of data being accurate. Um, I just want to sort of, you know, off the back of that, maybe you could sort of, are there any sort of examples that, you know, particularly proud of or, you know, sort of come to light with you know, successful projects where that data intelligence has made a significant impact? Um, we've been recently looking into non-elective missions or high volume pathway missions. Again, this is where it helps the healthcare system to streamline caregiving, alleviate pressures from one pathway, maybe in several, or kind of comes up with different pathways to deal with those patients. Or maybe again, we can look at the community voluntary care. So those patients may be not as a high, at a high risk, um, again might get the same quality of care outside a hospital it helps identify those efficiencies reduce wasting times and essentially it means that we can also investigate avoidable missions and the reasons why these people the you know certain patients were admitted and why they could have been avoidable which helps us kind of build in that preventative care and procurement of alternatives um, another example is we've been looking into open advice and guidance. So advice and guidance simply is when uh, your GP will make a referral to a uh, consultant GP in a uh, hospital, but they won't actually be referring you for appointment. They will just be asking for advice on your condition. Um, so we've been looking at kind of those sorts of pathways for patients because sometimes we've identified that there could be long waiting times or um, and this helps us kind of identify where pressures need you know where we can alleviate pressure within kind of those advice and guidance pathways because once they can get specialist information from a consultant then actually your healthcare might be able to be dealt at a gp level because it might be that you know they need uh, to go on a specialist prescription and one thing or another or it might be that they do need a hospital um you know referral and then they will go into hospital referral but essentially you know it's reduced the impact on patient interest uh, treatments and quality issues to their care so that's the feedback we've got from Hampshire and YICB. Uh, we've also build, been building a primary local care dashboard, which provides insight into several cohorts of patients, uh, for example, those with long-term conditions or frailty, to see how they're accessing kind of healthcare, um, why they are, the outcomes they receive from healthcare. It help, again, helps us identify this, whether or not we can achieve the same outcome for without hospital intervention or preventative care and how we can support patients to not be in a secondary care setting. Yeah, really interesting. Those uh, obviously different areas that you've got covering there. Um, we've 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 had a question come through um, from Alex asking about you know do you see a path for AI within data intelligence? Um, obviously AI quite massive. We, we don't seem to go one of these LinkedIn live events without mentioning AI in terms of going forward. Um, definitely much at the forefront. I wonder if this, you know, potentially is, is something that you're obviously as an organization already thinking on. Absolutely. It's at the forefront of our minds every day. I, I, I have chats every day about how we can utilize um, AI to actually improve the data analytics and intelligence that we're pulling. So then we start talking about the utilization of uh, you know, the ones that have been around for a while, you know, obviously R and Python, and then you can use Power BI and Tableau to model those. Uh, but obviously, you've got the kind of new guys in the block in terms of 
chat GPT, but then obviously we need to be careful that, you know, there are rules and regulations around how we use chat GPT. And as far as I'm aware, my latest knowledge that that's not been approved for healthcare use yet. Um, I, that was kind of something I recently saw through LinkedIn. Um, but it doesn't stop there because, you know, you've got Google, Databricks, you've got Amazon providing their own analytical platforms and technologies on the horizon too. So we are definitely looking at the wider scope about actually how can we utilise these different technologies to fill better insights um, for commissioners and not just commissioners, we also want to be looking to give this to clinicians and providers as well across our system to help them, you know, make patient care better yeah definitely no it's uh i imagine obviously ever-evolving landscapes with the uh, nhs obviously and the latest uh, additions of obviously the latest technologies and, and data um you know how how does your sort of you ensure your team stays updated with everything uh, personally, I like I link in with NHS communities such as AnalystX, um, there's NHSR, NHS PyCom, so NHSR obviously focuses on R, PyCom focuses on, on Python to support the use of training in latest in data analytics and intelligence technologies for my team. Uh, my main goal is to collaborate with other NHS staff, so providers, commissioners, analysts, to learn and share uh, so we can provide the most value to delivering patient quality care. It's also about sharing our code. Um, I support my team to link in with these communities and advocate their personal and professional funds because at the end of the day it's not just an investment for their benefit, it's going to be an investment for you know business and for the patients. Uh, one of my team is currently on a data apprenticeship to gain a qualification in R and Python. I've also in the past collaborated with Microsoft on a video around the P300 free marks uh they used to provide free they do provide me free microsoft training uh they used to provide a free quali qualification but uh if you're NHS staff as far as i'm aware it's now 50 percent off that you get so i wanted to raise awareness of that um always stay connected and up to date with news so obviously thinking about you know the latest from microsoft power platform in terms of fusion which allows more powerful low code version of analytics so you don't need to be technical to actually pull these insights you know it will allow you the automation of business as usual freeze uh accessibility also they've now you know expanded into azure health insights that provides health organizations tools that they can leverage to build services upon in terms of their data. Obviously, getting data into those systems covers, we need to talk about IG, we need to talk about patient safety again, and that goes back to my key topic. Um, something we're currently undertaking is looking at, you know, R and Quanto to kind of generate data analysis and reports using Markdown code. For those who don't know, Markdown is a lightweight kind of markup language syntax, which can be used to add formatting elements to text documents, and it's quite popular. Um, on the wider spectrum, sorry, this is going to be a quick long answer, but we kind of got the ecosystems as well in the wider NHS. So where bodies like Health Data Research UK are building innovative, like advanced data lakes of healthcare, you've got Ming Tang, who's the chief data um, and analytics officer of, of NHS, who actually mentioned the move towards this uh, for the NHS in the hacker 2023. Uh, that was the first hacker. We've got the next one coming up next year, for those who didn't know, but I've 
you know, looking forward to kind of what's coming out of that and how other providers and ICBs and CSUs are utilising AI to kind of provide really key insights. You can see other bodies in the wider NHS making the same movement. Um, and also they're thinking about, again, how we can share data with more ease, but kind of in that safe way. So you've got NHSE kind of driving a federated data platform, which is going to change how reactive the NHS could be with real time, high quality data. You know, it's going to hopefully be Send, send, it's going to be sending that data safely and securely with being transparent and engaging patients and publics around the nuance, nuances around their, how their data is being shared and the outcomes of actually, you know, we shared this data with this trust or this ICB since we shared that this is the statistics they've pulled from it and this is the outcomes for patients and, you know, we're hoping to build in that transparency. Um, if you're actually in the NHS, uh, for those out there, if, if you're watching this, analysts who are looking to move towards more collaboration, uh, again, would highlight Analyst X, which is a phenomenally large NHS analytics community. Uh, always happy to connect you to Alex Chung and um, Sarah Blondell as they lead on this. Additionally, you've got Sam Hollings in the NHSE, who's actually driving forward reproducible, reproducible analytic pipelines, if I could get it up my mouth, which is called RAP. We call it, I don't know why we call it RAP, but it's short for RAP. Um, and that's its core. Cool. It's essentially RAP is about doing one task once and then just start publishing this code via Git so other NHS analysts can kind of produce the same output. I know Jeffrey Harris at Git is kind of looking at the same, utilizing the same RAP uh, process in R in Southwest Central CSU at the moment. Um, yeah, so as part also kind of locally with my team as part of appraisals i consider you know any training my team wish to do uh, find any ways we can achieve the learning as you know just taking into consideration actually how it could be beneficial to benefiting patients and also we've got a recent development of analytical competency framework which you may if you're nhs staff you may see a lot of posts around because they're doing a kind of um, tour at the moment because they've just rolled it out nationally and at the moment I'm aligning my team's appraisals to that national competency framework kind of outlining what gaps my team members have and how they could develop their career in line with this competency framework so they want to go into data science they want to go into data analytics they want to go into data engineering apologies I need to take a breath obviously because <laughs> I'm speaking too much but that's my fault um but yeah so there's definitely a lot of lots out there for the NHS staff and lots out there for analysts to kind of take on and actually get involved with to kind of push AI to the forefront of the agenda. And I think a lot of people are doing that at the moment. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's interesting that um, obviously coming from, you know, the, the National NHS England, they obviously realising you know, the importance of this going forward. Um, I know there's sort of the tour that's underway for the analyst X. We actually um, we've kind of coincidentally bumped into the uh, the head of BIs that were at the uh, in our office last week because they were um, you know in, in the sort of in the in the building. Um, so they're doing that tour. I know they're going obviously different regions and and getting everyone up to speed as quickly as they can. So it's just sort of must be quite. Uh, rewarding to know that you've got that sort of that everyone's on the same wavelength going forward around the importance of it and not just doing it for doing its sake it's more obviously everyone is backing it and getting behind it yeah no i think analytics is a really key community to be part of if you're in the nhs um i think it's really beneficial and it really kind of 
you know, it distills the principles I believe in, in terms of, you know, development, um, also professionalisation of analysts. Definitely. We've had a, a question come through from uh, Hazira Forth, you probably know I well from <laughs> and a, a previous uh, LinkedIn Live here as well. So it'd be interesting what you say here. So given uh, the pressures on analysts in general, what strategy do you have for carving out time to help your team to participate in learning? What three things would you say would pave success for similar teams? Oh, funny enough, Zira and I have talked about this <laughs> in terms of, no, she asked me because um, she asked me kind of, we were kind of just talking more locally around um, what, because uh, Hazira works with different systems than I am to those who aren't aware. And I do know Hazira very well. So what key things? I think um, it sounds very odd, but I'd say prioritising development, mm -hmm. having a clear idea of, um, so my, then my second one would be having a a clear kind of standardised offering to analysts in terms of development time. So for Southwest Central CSU, something I'm pushing for is that standardisation. So at the moment, I offer my team four hours a week, um, you know, and I'm trying to push that actually, you know, this this should be quite standard. But then I think about the third one is also kind of around be wary of learning um, how pe how different people learn. So in terms of I try and flex the um offering in terms of okay if you know if it suits if it suits a member of team they could take four hours a week if that doesn't suit them they would prefer a more consolidated amount of time i then push for you know i then say to them okay we can change that into one day a month i think the math roughly works out i sometimes kind of say to them after a while you know i think they work out that they slightly get less development time but then i do try and make that up with them outside to make sure it's equal um, the reality is, yeah, those are the three key, key to, um, principles I'd distill is prioritising it, standardising it across analysts so they have the same opportunities, the same amount of time, so it's kind of more of an equal setting. And the third one is flexing it around what development their development needs are and what their learning ability is, because I appreciate I've got dyslexia, so I would struggle maybe to take four hours a week to learn. I would prefer to take the day a month because then I get some more focused time. Interesting. Yeah, I know that Hesir has put um, a few sort of names in um, obviously the, the, the chat there. So if anyone just wants to have a, a quick look, um, definitely something to expand on there going forward. Yeah. Um, it leads in quite nicely in terms of obviously knowing SCW quite well and collaboration as, you know, as an organisation being really sort of pivotal in terms of, uh, you know, who they are and what you're about going forward. Um, you know, how does how does that collaboration with other departments, you know, and healthcare providers basically, you know, enhance what it is you do around your intelligence initiatives? Uh, so for those who aren't aware, Central issue covers many systems. The main key ones are Buckinghamshire, Oxfordshire and Berkshire West, which is Bob, uh, Frimley, Hampshire and White, which is also named as HIO. Uh, Somerset and Sussex, so those are the four key ones. Uh, on top of the day-to-day -day of actually doing all our roles, uh, all the senior managers collaborate on centralised reporting and minimising effort between systems. So a really good example is um, I actually had uh, 
Robbie McCaffrey, I apologise if I pronounced the surname incorrectly, actually coming and asking me around what we've done around diabetes and the National Diabetes Prevention Programme. And actually I shared our code with the Bob team to say this is what we've derived from the National uh, Diabetes Prevention Programme. This is, you know, and I, I said I'm happy to show you through the actual visualisations we pulled through this and how this was beneficial for our system and this is that kind of sharing allows us to kind of collaborate cross you know cross system on the work we're doing and realize those efficiencies optimize the delivery programs which support patient care because the reality is we shouldn't why are we driving the same thing twice why can't and then sometimes when we have several systems picking up similar key issues like that so it might be that you know Frimley did something on diabetes as well would then turn around and say you know, kind of get together and say, actually, maybe we should make this a centralised report and a centralised offering where actually then, you know, that kind of need of data is then covered by a, a report that actually then we can focus our, um, yeah, we can focus our capacity on building something else. Um, we've also, in the wider sense, been considering changing the way we're working to be a bit more matrix. Um, I'm fully supportive of it and advocate of it because I think as essentially at the end of the day, what I want to promote is realising opportunities and increasing opportunities uh, around efficiencies, introducing new and different ways of working, which could have remarkable benefits for analysts and patients at the end of the day. Brilliant stuff. Yeah, no, really, really interesting there. Um, with one eye on the future then with obviously SCW and, and what it is you're doing at the moment what kind of what do you see as the emerging trends or or technologies um in terms of the emerging trends and technologies it's pretty much what I mentioned earlier in terms of our Python um you see some trust using Google Analytics and that's a, probably I'd say a bit more advanced down the road and that's definitely something I'm keen to get into um again I, at the moment, we're kind of looking into how we can utilise R effectively and actually how we can also share code because we don't want to be distilling the same thing that someone else has done elsewhere. Um, we want to make sure that we're staying connected in that network. Um, in terms of actually how we utilise this, what I'm really excited about is how uh, population health, because that's a quite a popular trend at the moment. So the ability to make maps for commissioners based on deprivation, comorbidities, length of stay, number of missions to identify like key insights where um, essentially they need to kind of put their commissioning resources in um, is really key to kind of say, well, you know, this if you invest in this kind of population or this cohort of patients, this is the benefit that patient will receive. That's quite sometimes a quite strong insight that you can give to the ICB. Interesting, yeah, definitely. And one sort of area that I was going to sort of address off the back of that, you know, in terms of you know how do you ensure that you know the, the data that you collect and analyze, you know. It, is communicated to inform policy decisions and drive that positive change? Um, so essentially it's all around use cases. So uh, in terms of NHS, we receive a standardised kind of data set. So it's, like, it's called a commissioning data set. 
uh, we can receive, so most of the data we receive is kind of nationally governed, if that makes sense, because there's national data sets where, for example, theatres, uh, productivity data set uh, might be not widely known in this there, but it's, you know, that's one of the data sets that NHSC commissions. And then off the back of that kind of data set, what we can do is try and get our own local flow or we can get access to the national flow. Uh, and then the team I have can actually then use that to analyze things like utilization rate, uh, four hour case loads, uh, cases by session. And then essentially we can start looking into, just give you an example, how many sessions are underutilized, where we're cancelling sessions on the day, the reasons why we're cancelling sessions on the day, uh, other actually session cancelizations as well, where we're starting late, when we're finishing late, why we're doing finishing and starting late. Um, and essentially then we can use all that to drive efficiencies within the theatre system. We can go to clinicians, okay, I can see, for example, this is oh, this is based on no data at all, this is just as an example. Say, for example, you know, Portsmouth was always starting late uh, and it was a common problem around, for example, trauma and orthopaedics. That's where we can kind of go and have a discussion with trauma orthopaedics clinicians in Portsmouth and go, we know just from your data, you're always starting late. And these are the procedures you're doing when you're starting late. Is there something here we can change the patient pathway or, you know, in the clinic clinical setting to actually prove that you don't start late and actually minimise that patient delay? interesting yeah it really uh it's really quite impressive isn't it how they could sort of drill it down in terms of to that degree um just for, just for being late and going forward um i know we sort of touched briefly on um you know ai earlier but i just wondered if potentially you know the role of ai ai and machine learning in, in healthcare data intelligence you know, how are they actually sort of specifically used in the organization um Yes, yeah, so at the moment we've got a IPT called, uh, tool, which means Integrated Pathway Tool. Essentially, it's a John Hopkins ACG system, which we've been collaborating with uh, as a CSU, and it allows us to link patient pathways together from different sectors of healthcare. It invites the ability to model what potential healthcare may be needed in the future. So at the moment, what we've been able to do, for example, is map inpatients, outpatients, mental health uh, care. So we, these are all, again, commissioning data sets mandated by NHSE, which we can't, we get access to. Uh, securely and then once we have we kind of got that wide model of potential uh, healthcare what we can actually start doing is drilling through to, for example for to using AI around clinical case management resource allocation performance management identifying trends and tracking improvements uh, from this we can track key concerns such as diabetic patients with which have been uh, which have a high risk of being admitted. And then we can also track if we've got, as we've got access to the community data set and we've been able to link all these data sets together, actually we can track the preventative care we're implementing at a community level to avoid that admission. And where we can then track when that patient re, when that patient re actually enters the trust uh, and then, then track that against the community care they're receiving and yeah, no, it's good. It's a real versatile model, and I'm really excited to see where AI is going to lead us in the NHS with this model we've built. Interesting. Yeah, definitely interesting to see what the sort of the, the next few months and the, to the end of next year, particularly. Do you think 
how how quickly do you think it'll get get implemented into organizations is it if you're looking at it now is it a, a six month scenario um I don't think so now because it's already being implemented like I talked about in terms of the you know the the wrapped you know pipelines people already utilizing R and Python to drive these insights they're sharing their code it's already happening actually you can go uh, you can actually just probably search NHS AI and then data and you'll probably come up with loads of case loads where you know they're using AI to reduce unnecessary admissions or length of stay where they're using it to optimize capacity to care um, you know they're using it to support mental health and avoid avoiding crisis to you know provide patients with the preventative measures they need um, I know we're looking at essentially in Hampshire and White, we're looking at in terms of promoting and investing in local community care as, an, uh, as a primary key aspect to reduce waiting lists or time spent in hospital to hopefully provide that individualised care to patients and empower patients with the knowledge to actually self-care where appropriate because that's really powerful to do. You know, at, at its core, AI will support the NHS in reaching its full potential to increase accuracy, efficiency and improve patient outcomes whilst minimising risk and or negative outcomes. But yeah, it's already, I, th I think the timeline's irrelevant. I think it's already happening. We're there, we're I think there already. it's just about yeah. the adoption of it and the, being careful wary of the use cases for it, because obviously we want to make sure it drives the patient benefit and we don't want to lose the quality of care they get. Interesting. Yeah, really interested. Um, there's, there's been a question coming from uh, Zara Khan, basically asking, um, there is an AI lab, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that is already taking place. Um, oh, I'm not sure if that's actually a question or anything that she's aware. Maybe we could pick that up at the end, um, Zara, if that's all right, or we'll come back to you on that one. Um, one of the, the key sort of questions I like to ask uh, for anyone that I have on here is sort of, you know, what advice would you give to, to individuals, you know, interested in pursuing a career, um, particularly with yourself in this one with, with data intelligence, you know, what are the sort of skills and, you know, what's essential for success? Uh, funnily enough, I'm asked this quite a bit, um, only because some people see me on the Microsoft PL300 video and find me on LinkedIn and then email me to say, actually, I'm interested in data analytics. Can I, can you give me some advice? So the advice I usually give is the internet has a wide range of resources available. You've got Udemy, you've got YouTube. So Guy in the Cube is brilliant. Uh, you've got FutureLearn, EDX, you've got Courseria, sorry, probably pronounced that incorrectly. Um, but essentially all of those offer some sort of freemium service in terms of training courses or insights. Reddit is another powerful resource that I sign up to because essentially it helps some of them actually identify free courses in data analytics. And they actually promote those widely. I would promote learning around Git and team validation version control with you know looking on NHS resources or an healthcare analytical resources if that's what you want to uh, get into specifically I would check out Kristen Wanser i.e data wizard on LinkedIn who promotes you know data career resources um, yeah if you're interested if you actually are in the NHS again you've got the free Microsoft training you've got uh, alpha analytics analytics if I get it out of my mouth uh, nhsr pycom and obviously they're linking the national competency framework see how you can develop in kind of in your nhs analytical role or into an nhs analytical role uh, if anyone's looking for nhs experience i appreciate 
that's not always easy when you're kind of you've just got a degree or wanting to get into the NHS there are national NHS data sets available that actually you can download a Power BI version for free you can download some software for free and actually could just amalgamate the data start pulling insights from nationally published data so you can check out NHSE national statistics website or NHS digital you've also got public health England who nationally published data sets and you can actually juxtapose these against the uh, office of national statistics data sets such as the census uh, then there, you've also got your organization data service data sets uh, I can happily put some of these links together afterwards because I appreciate it's quite a lot to take in. But yeah, essentially those national data set, uh, service data sets are great reference tables because essentially it just outlines the services and clinicians behind the uh, NHS service. Um, yeah, couldn't recommend actually utilising LinkedIn because it's such a wide network. Go and talk to other people in the NHS, they might have different advice than us. Myself, again, go and talk to um, Andy Level, who's actually promoting the National Competency Framework. I'm sure he'd be happy to give some advice or go and talk to um, Hugh Davies, who actually, you know, created the National Competency Framework alongside the NHS. Um, the reality is we all promote and prioritise development of BI staff because essentially it's a crucial investment with potential benefits and vast investments for patients care because once we could draw, provide the kind of data science and insights they can you know commissioners can take that further to provide the right care for patients mm -hmm. um obviously you know would advocate knowing sql excel um our python maybe having some technical technical ability but what maybe people don't focus on is having the softer skills and this is something i personally can struggle with sometimes uh being autistic but you know making you know being aware that there's softer skills at play in terms of being observant having tenacity having being caring passion emotional intelligence communication being assertive being logical slash pragmatic and having a lot of resilience i would say is key to being in the nhs right now i think that's amazing no, i think that's a real uh, a, a good way to sort of sum up um and end it there i think obviously a real good insight so, so thank you nikki for just giving us a bit of your day-to-day your -day and obviously everything that you're doing with scw but obviously the, the challenges and and going forward um they'll be really sort of interesting to, to see no it's uh it's, it's always a always a pleasure um if anyone does have any sort of questions that potentially they think of afterwards feel free to pop them in the chat i'm sure nikki won't mind coming back to them on the, the and i'm page. sure people will find me on linkedin if they really have a better question but i'd welcome it you wait wait a while for a response because sometimes i'm quite busy but i'll respond to you as soon as i can do no so definitely that's uh, it's, it's amazing so i uh, know thanks again for your time nikki and uh yeah thanks everyone for for watching and um catch you on the next one yeah thank you very much Bye-bye.